0: Hello to all of you, I'm Anthony Scaramucci, and welcome to our podcast that we're calling TMI, The Motivation Inside. I hope you've been enjoying these weekly podcasts. Our goal in doing them is to give you a glimpse inside of how things really work professionally, but also how some of us work personally. This way you get to see who we really are as people. So it's not just myself, but it's my friends, it's the people of Skybridge, our associates, it could be SALT attendees. Uh, It could be parents, all different kinds of fun people we want to bring to you guys. I'm going to share with you the many faces of success and wealth and let you in on how we all got here, because I think it's super important to understand that. And it's also super important to understand that you, you yourself, you have greatness inside. We all do for that matter. It takes a lot of hard work and intense focus to achieve success. And we also know that this road to success is quite winding but the possibilities are there. It's up to you to find what motivates you to do the things that you're passionate about, the things that you really love. Uh, And once you get that motivation going and that passion, uh, you'll be well on your way uh, to success. TMI is the place where I would like you guys out there listening to ask me anything, to share with me any of your wild and crazy stories, perhaps a weakness of yours, or maybe even one of your strengths. Uh, anything that you want. If you email us at podcast at skybridgeinsights.com, we'll try to do our best to bring up your commentary or questions on TMI. In fact, uh, this week's TMI has a lot to do with those types of questions. Uh, Again, for those of you that don't know me, I'm the founder of Skybridge Capital, but I'm also a Fox News and Fox business contributor. I'm the co-host of an iconic TV program called Wall Street Week which is now on the Fox Business Network Friday evenings at 8 p.m. And we replay that show at Saturday morning at 9 a.m. And then again on Sunday at that same time, 9 a.m. I'm also the author of two books, A Little Book of Hedge Funds and Goodbye Gordon Gecko, And the third book is coming out very soon on entrepreneurship and dealing with a business in a crisis, which I think you guys will find interesting. Hopefully that will be out in October uh, as I'm working with our publisher right now on the final draft. For you first-time listeners out there, let's face it, I'm not the typical Wall Street guy. I'm not super fancy pants, and I don't live here in New York City. I only live about two miles from my mom and dad. I've done that on purpose because I need to be close to the people that I grew up with. It helps me feel connected and anchored. I also think it helps you become more relatable to people where you can stay possibly down to earth in some way. Um, And I'm hoping you as a listener could at least relate to some of that. You will see me in my office in my favorite attire, which I'm wearing right now, cargo pants. Uh, And for those of you that really know me, know I'm not wearing a thong. I actually have boxers on. Uh, But I sort of feel like if I'm not in an expensive suit, uh, why wear anything but cargo pants? I have a binary fashion style. I also take pride in myself as a risk taker on both people and ideas, uh, but also capital. Uh, And this is something we're going to be talking about often here on TMI. Without taking risk that you can measure, without taking calculated risk, it's very, very hard to break out of the bands of mediocrity and become super successful. So we're going to spend a lot of time over the course of these programs talking about risk and the calculation and probability statistics thereof. Today, I want to respond to all the wonderful and interesting questions I received From How to Be a Phenomenal Summer Intern, Uh, that podcast has now been uh, viewed by thousands of you or listened to by thousands of you, and I'm actually thrilled by the reactions. And I do appreciate you guys responding to these podcasts in general, but in this particular one, because it was focused on students and young people, um, I'm really glad that you guys came, came back and did your homework and reached back out to me. Uh, Because my goal is obviously to engage with you people. Uh, And so let's talk about some of the things that came back to me from these podcasts. This is a question from Victoria. What are the best strategies for making your internship turn into a job? I might also add that that question wasn't only from Victoria, but we got that question quite repetitively uh, from the email traffic that came in. And so this is super tricky. Uh, Some firms, unfortunately, a small firm like ours, we could hire 20 interns because we're trying to make a big community outreach and to help younger people. But we may only have one or two jobs a year. And so statistically, it's sort of hard uh, to translate our job into a full-time job. If you're working at a bigger firm, it's probably a little bit easier to do that. But here's the thing that I would tell you that makes you successful as an intern, and that is attitude. Attitude and gratitude. If you can come in every day and you can go above and beyond the call of duty from sweeping, if that's necessary, or getting coffee or changing the toner ink on the copy machine or the laser printer, well, guess what? You are distinguishing yourself in a way that you didn't fully realize when you got going. People do notice that, particularly older people who had the same rites of passage, who were willing to do those same sorts of things, They want to see that in younger people. I often find that there's a smugness or arrogance detector that older people have, and they can pick it up right away on a summer intern, somebody who's overly pampered or overly entitled. uh, Those are the types of things that you certainly do not want to be uh, when you're an intern. But the X factor for me, and something I think has been absolutely terrific for people in general, is the attitude and then, obviously, the gratitude and showing the people that you worked with over the summer the appreciation that you have uh, for them giving you this opportunity and the responsibility. So, so Victoria, those are the key things. Uh, let's go to Tanya now. Who was the most memorable intern at Skybridge and why? Uh, th- this, is a, this is something that really makes me laugh. Uh, I'm not going to give out the person's name because I don't think that's fair to the person. But we had an intern here Uh, In our second year of the internship program, which is back in 2007, um, he was a freshman in college. Uh, He was going to an Ivy League school. Uh, He was hired last minute. One of my friends who works for a big trust company asked me to hire him. Unfortunately, his dad uh, was quite sick and had passed away that summer, and so I thought it was necessary to give him time off, but he wanted none of that. Uh, It was super important for him. Uh, that he made a good impression on us because I think uh, he really wanted to please his dad. He was probably 18 or 19 years old. He went on to build a water company, uh, and that water company is a lot like Ethos, uh, the Starbucks uh, brand, where you buy the water from them, and then they go out and they take pennies on that profitability, and they turn it either into breast cancer research or prostate cancer research or a whole host of different things. And so Uh, This was probably one of the more entrepreneurial people. I knew after six weeks that he would never fit in at Skybridge because he was one of you millennial types that wanted to be an entrepreneur from the get-go, wasn't looking for any type of business training, and just wanted to hit the wheel very hard. He's done very well. It's nine years later. He's uh, 28 years old, uh, and he's got a successful business in water, uh, but he also has a successful business in party supplies. And things like that. So he's a young merchant, and I tip my hat to him. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the other people were not memorable. We've had some very good, uh, super qualified interns here, uh, and many of those people have left an impression on me. But here's the good news about the interns here they got an open door into my world, uh, an open mic into a conversation with me, and certainly I try to be as responsive as possible on email. And one thing that Skybridge does try to do for all of our interns. Is help them get jobs uh, because let's face it, we're a small company, uh, but we have a lot of resources and a big network into the financial services community. Let's go to Natalie. What are a few of the greatest books you've ever read that you would add that would add value to our professional and personal lives? So I'm a big book reader, big bibliophile. Um, I would say to you that uh, I I love all different types of books. Uh, I spend a lot of time reading historical novels. I read history, uh, and I spend some time reading self-help books, and I spend some time reading business books. So I'm just going to focus on the self-help and business books. These are three books that have had a major impact on me professionally and personally. And I'm going to start uh, with the first one, which is How to Win Friends and Influence People. It was written by Dale Carnegie over 80 years ago. It is a bestseller to this day. Uh, And he basically talks about in that book how you need to think about the other person in the conversation and focus on them more than yourselves. Uh, It's a good way to start friendships and it's a good way to be open with people. The second book uh, is a book that was written about 25 years ago. Uh, It was called Lincoln on Leadership. It's still selling to this day. It's by Donald T. Phillips. Uh, That book is a great manual on Abraham Lincoln and what his management style was. In fact, I tell people, if you don't want to read Team of Rivals, which is also a fascinating book written by Doris Kearns Goodwin, but a 650-page book, you can read Lincoln on Leadership, which is about 180, 190 pages. You can get the ethos and the essence of Abraham Lincoln from that book, and it has significantly helped me build the culture here at Skybridge, which I want to be embracing and team-oriented and I want it to be as little grudge-holding as possible. Uh, those are the hallmarks of Lincoln's management uh, skill set. And so this is something that I read, left a gigantic impression on me, and it's a quick read. The last book is an obscure book that you could probably only find today on Amazon, although they are still publishing the book. It is, uh, it is a book uh, called How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Selling, and the gentleman's name is Frank Betger, B-E-T-T-G-E-R. This book was written in the 1950s when salespeople were being lambasted uh, by the Arthur Millers of the world, the death of the salesman, uh, the salesperson being depicted in modern culture, at least at that time, as a wayward loner who had a deep-rooted insecurity crisis. Uh, this was a, uh, a book about consultative selling. I'm often uh, reminded of what Mark Cuban has said about selling, uh, which is you have to think about selling as being consultative and helping somebody as opposed to pushing them or unduly influencing them to do something. And so Frank writes a 225-page book that I think is the base primer on selling. And one of the things I really love about that book, and I go back to that book often, is that he infuses a lot of Benjamin Franklin's autobiography into that book, which is really the father. Benjamin Franklin may not have been the father of our country. He was one of the founding fathers, and he was a polymath, a genius in so many ways, but he is definitely the George Washington of the self-help movement, which is totally and completely unique to the United States. We read more self-help books and purchase more self-help books by a factor of 15 to the rest of the society, although the Chinese now are starting to catch up to us. But with Benjamin Franklin... Uh, his autobiography, uh, which again is a great book, you can add that to this list, but I really want to leave it to a couple, but his autobiography is timeless in terms of uh, what he says about preparation, what he says about friendship, what he says about the need to be thrifty. Uh, he has 13 principles in that book, which I try to read at least once or twice a year uh, to remind me directionally where I need to go as a person. Uh, so I've got one book on relationships, we've got another book on selling, Uh, and we can talk about Lincoln, uh, who was, I think, one of the great managers of all time. Uh, Let's keep moving here. Uh, uh, We get another uh, uh, from Connor. How do you define success? Boy, that's a super hard question, but there's an individual fingerprint to that answer. I can give you my personal answer, but I really want to put it back to you, and I want you to uh, think about the following question. Uh, What do you want to spend your day doing? How do you want to manifest your day? What parts of it are with your family? What parts of it are with your work cohorts and your associates? What parts of it are in leisure? What parts of it are for yourself? What parts of it are for your body in terms of your workout regimen or exercise? Uh, And I think what you have to do is you have to ask yourself how you want to spend your day, and then you've got to reverse engineer back into – the type of job that you want. You know, for myself, I always wanted to have my own business. And so for me, a definition of success for me was to be an entrepreneur, try to build a business, uh, but also because I have a great love for people, try to pick a genre or pick a uh, throughput or outlet for my talent, whatever that talent may be, uh, in reaching other people. And so for me, there were mechanisms there of sales, origination of businesses that required marketing and branding. And so when I think about my own personal success, however big or small it is, I wanted those factors involved with it. You, you may be listening to this thing and want to win a Nobel Prize, or you may be listening to this thing and want to write a great American novel or a great international novel. Think about what it is that you want. Reverse engineer back into the day in terms of the day and how you want to spend those 18 hours that you're awake Uh, And then you'll find yourself in a position uh, where you could be successful. you got to do one other thing, and this is a really scary thing. you got to do the thing that you want to do in life with an absolute certainty that you're not going to fail at it. And so what if you could pick the one thing that you would do in your life where you knew with absolute certainty that you weren't going to fail? Well, that's the thing you should be doing. I think that's the thing that's going to define your success the most. Let's keep moving here. Sarah. Give any advice on how not to be discouraged while looking for a job. Yeah, that's super hard. You see, because the, the problem right now is that we got a slowdown in the economy and younger people are having a real difficult time finding work. And so what you have to do, well, let me let me frame it to you this way. I think this is the best way I can say it. Um, what you have to do is you have to never ever And I'll say it again, never, ever take anything personally. It has nothing to do with you. Uh, But what happens is because your parents probably loved you, uh, I'm sure they did, and they doted on you and they probably spoon-fed you and they drove you back and forth to soccer where you got your ninth place award, uh, you are super uh, uh, concerned personally about where you're going and what you're doing. Um, And so when you get into the workplace, guess what? It's not personal. And so if there are only a number of seats in the workplace for jobs and there are 100 people looking for the jobs and there are seven seats available and you don't get one of those seven seats, it has nothing to do with your skill set, your looks, your personality or any of that sort of stuff. What it does have to do with is your persistence. Um, I can't tell you the number of times that I have been turned down been said no to, told I could never amount to anything. I can't tell you the times when I entered the workforce as a high net worth salesperson or FA at Goldman Sachs, where people said to me, "Well, there's a, there's XYZ firm and ZYX firm, and the whole multitude of different wealth advisors out there. Notwithstanding all the competition that you have inside of Goldman Sachs, but there are four or five hundred other people competing with you, and people are going to say no to you." Uh, ad infinitum, and so, therefore, you're never going to be a success, and my response to those people and my response to you is that no. that when you're turned down, that's actually when the selling begins. That's actually when the fun begins. On one of these podcasts, I said that I, I, uh, I, I love the fact that the word no spelled backwards is on, and so you have to flip no around in your mind, and you have to address it like it's time to switch myself on, Uh, Very hard to do. Uh, Try to find a support group, uh, other friends that are looking for jobs or family members that love you, think the world of you, and push them. And they will push you, uh, and you'll get to the ultimate goal that you want. Uh, Do employers pay attention? This is coming from uh, uh, Jake. Do employers pay attention to the behavior of summer interns uh, throughout the program? The answer is yes. And let me tell you something. They pay attention to minute things. You want to drink a cup of coffee and leave the mug in the sink waiting for mommy to come in and wash the mug. People are noticing that. That's going to cost you. You want to uh, make uh, photostatic copies of something. You got a couple extra copies. They're jammed in the printer, but you can't be uh, occupied with unjamming them. Guess what? People are going to notice that. Uh, There's a lunch order being taken. You've never volunteered yourself to go out of your way to go outside in that uh, heavy humidity here in Manhattan or wherever you're working to go get that lunch, people are going to notice that. Uh, If you want to be in the front seat all the time uh, with the senior people and you don't share that seat, uh, again, I'm using this metaphorically, uh, with the other people in the group, guess what? People are going to notice that. Uh, And so, yes, people are constantly noticing your behavior. Uh, uh, Christian is now asking, what should a student not majoring in finance do in order to become more educated in that field. So this is interesting because my son actually majored in economics, but had a great love of technology. And in hindsight, probably should have been a computer science major or been focused on something related to getting a job at Google as opposed to getting a job at Goldman Sachs. And so people do this all the time. Uh, It's totally okay. You just got to get yourself up to speed. So whatever you're interested in, Let's say it's getting a job in finance and maybe you're a history major. you got to get a big reading list of finance books. you got to get a big code array of individual people that you can talk to that are in finance that will agree to help you or act as a mentor to you in some way, shape, or form. If you do that, uh, that will be hugely, hugely valuable to you. And so... My feeling is you can come into an interview at such a young age and say, hey, I didn't major in this, uh, but here's my interest and here, my, here, here, here is why. And I'll give you a very specific story that relates back to my own life. I, I basically went to uh, a Goldman Sachs interview. They said, well, you're at Harvard Law School. You haven't really studied that much finance. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I've been studying a lot of finance. I've just been doing it on my own. And then he said, okay, how do you do a net present value calculation on a bond? And there was a whiteboard there. I went to the whiteboard, and I showed him the equation. And I said, okay, you tell me the interest rate of the principal, and I can tell you what the net present value of these cash flow streams. He looked at me and said, okay, fair enough. There's nothing on your resume that demonstrates that you have this background, but here you are showing this real interest. I think I'll, I'll just add one other thing and go to another question. Barry Diller legendary guy, helped to start the Fox Network 28, 30 years ago. He was the guy that picked The Simpsons out for the programming, which is one of the longest-running shows in television history. Uh, Phenomenal guy. He's done so many different things. Uh, But what Barry has often said to people, and I've heard him speak many times to younger people, that he looks to hire very well-rounded people. Uh, So make sure when you go into that interview, uh, try to let people know that there's a whole smorgasbord of things that you're interested in and you have a whole buffet table worth of talents. Rohil, he's writing to us, what is your advice for interns looking to exude confidence without coming across arrogance, arrogantly? Well, that's really tough because here's the problem. When you're young and you're smart, you are uh, trying to impress other people. You can breed some level of insecurity And if this was a psychological Rothschild test and you were giving me a word and you said arrogance, the next word that I would think of is insecurity. So I often find that people that are arrogant are super insecure about something, so they have to act gruffly or they have to act nasty to somebody else to prove a point or try to position themselves in some level of false superiority. And so I would say as an intern, I would dial back even your willingness or your need to exude confidence, uh, because at the end of the day, what people would probably be more interested in in you is competence as opposed to confidence. And I think if you just demonstrate a level of enthusiasm and a level of kindness uh, towards others, the people on staff, the people that are ordinate to you and subordinate to you, uh, I think that's going to go a lot bigger, a lot longer way, and trying to instill confidence. Because at the end of the day, if you're saying smart things and you're coming across competently, uh, it will it will de facto mean to the people that you're working with that you have a level of self-confidence. Let's go to Matthew. What advice do you have for an intern held back by fear of rejection from applying? Boy, that's the biggest, biggest hurdle that we have in our lives. Uh, I don't know a salesperson, myself included, that have not had that self-loathing moment where somebody has rejected us, told us we weren't good at something, told us, I'm sorry, you cannot uh, get this job. I can remember going to the Lehman Brothers interviews at the World Financial Center. I'd interviewed at Goldman. I'm now back at the Harvard Law School, and I'm going through my mailbox. I was living off campus at the time in Somerville, Massachusetts, and I found a letter from Lehman Brothers. And I was super excited. I opened up the letter, and the letter was one of those form letters, and it had some really good euphemisms in it. And I still remember one of the first sentences. It says, I am sorry at this time we cannot be more encouraging about a job offer. I thought that was like unbelievable pablum, right? They could have said, hey, pal, you sucked at the interview, and so we're not inviting you back. But they they said this really subtle – We cannot be encouraging about a job offer. And I remember reading it and saying, wow, there's something wrong with me. I didn't do the right thing and so on and so forth. But again, what you find out is it has nothing to do with you. It just has to do with whether you're the right cog or the right fit at the right time at that right moment. And this is why you have to amp up statistically the number of opportunities. And so what I would say to you is that rejections are actually a good thing. Uh, it's back to what Ronald Reagan said when uh, the boy was discovered digging all the the pony dung in the stall he was shoveling furiously and the farmer went over to him and said, what what are you doing?" He said, "Well I figure with all this pony dung here if I keep digging there's got to be a pony in here somewhere." Uh, the point being is that you got to stay optimistic you got to have a high level of belief in yourself and you have to accept that rejection statistically means that the acceptance is just around the corner you got to keep pushing Okay, let's go to Alex. How should a former intern keep in touch with their former boss? Okay, this is super, super good question, and I'm going to give you a very quick answer on this one. A lot, proactively, and never, ever, and I'll say it again, never, ever take it personally if you're emailing your boss or texting them and they haven't responded to you. Uh, don't get any self-consciousness or anxiety. Just assume that they're wicked busy and email and hit them up again. Okay, and eventually they'll get back to you, or if they don't, at least you get the message. Now, for me, I'm a serial user of email and texting, uh, which is another reason why I could never run for a political office. Uh, but I would say this to you, that uh, I get back to people, but I just can't get back to them probably at the level of the frequency of the replies that people expect. So, so uh, I would ask people out there that email me, give me a break. Uh, give the people a break that you're uh, uh, emailing, uh, but stay strong, be resilient, and don't take it personally. Keep hitting the person. They'll eventually get back to you. Uh, David, how can an intern without connections become connected? Okay, so that's that's a central thing. So it goes back to that reading list, how to win friends and influence people, and the, the, and the discussion about Frank Becker and building yourself up to becoming a terrific salesperson. You have to be useful to other people. You want to have relationships with other people? They have to feel something from you. You've got to be a vibe for positive energy where you're giving them a positive energy transfer. You've got to be a vibe for competence where they're coming to you for advice, legal, strategic, political, commercial, or otherwise. Uh, They're coming to you for friendship. you got to be useful to other people. You know, I'd like to tell you uh, that this is easy, but the world is full of symmetrical relationships. Perhaps the only asymmetrical relationship you have in your life is with your parents, possibly your spouse, although I think that's doubtful, but certainly maybe with your siblings, but not with your friends and not with your employer. There has to be a symmetrical exchange of information, a symmetrical exchange of value. Again, and we can measure value in different ways. It could be psychic or emotional, or it could be commercial value, but ultimately, at the end of the day, You've got to be a person that is putting out something into the world that the world likes and the world wants to be a part of. Now, this is Sam. Uh, Mr. Scaramucci, I know you said your father was an inspiration. Is there anyone else that inspired you? Well, I would say many of my family members inspired me, my mom and dad, certainly my uncles who worked super hard. Two of them were decorated World War II veterans. Uh, My uncle, Scarry, who's deceased now probably 12 years, I really looked up to him. Uh, He was my dad's older brother. Uh, He was really the one that had a level of savoir-faire about the corporate world and gave me some insight into uh, daring uh, to do things that were unique to my family members, like going to law school or applying to a job like a Goldman Sachs or trying to start my own business in midtown Manhattan uh, where we were a group of people from the suburbs uh, and none of our family members had ever really worked here in the city. And so so uh, I would say to you that I've been inspired by a lot of different people. Uh, some of them I've had on this podcast. My mom's been on the podcast. Bob Castragnano, my old boss, has been on the podcast. Uh, and so, yes, I, I'm very, very grateful uh, to the people that have helped me. And I'm also here to tell you if you're going to be successful, you need to have people help you. You're not going to be able to do it yourself. Uh, nobody is an island unto themselves as it relates to their own success, and one of the worst used terms in our society, particularly for entrepreneurs, is the concept of a self-made man or a self-made woman. I just don't believe in that. Uh, You are getting helped, Uh, and so, yes, you could be a self-starter. You could be a self-initializer, but at the end of the day, you're going to need somebody to help pick you up uh, in different spots in your life. Abdullah. First of all, I'd like to thank you. My question is Do you believe there is still an opportunity in the hedge fund industry for the young generation? And if so, what skills should they be learning? You know, this is a super good question. And the hedge fund industry is out of favor. Uh, guys like you, Abdullah, want to go to Google now and Facebook and Instagram, and all these places. Uh, totally different from my generation, where Goldman Sachs or uh, uh, Morgan Stanley, places like that, were the hotbeds. Uh, today, Uh, The hedge fund industry has had lackluster performance. Uh, It's been burdened by an uncertainty around Federal Reserve monetary policy. Um, And there's been a level of derision about the hedge fund industry from politicians and from the media. All of those things are toxic to a young person where they say, wow, the zeitgeist or the social zeitgeist about this is decidedly negative. Let me not think about going into this industry— I would tell you right here and now, that would be a big mistake because there's a ton of wicked smart people in this industry, really, really, really strong in a number of different categories. And so what I would say to you is the industry is ripe for young people. And when you say to me, what skills should you be focused on learning? I have to ask you a question. And the question is, what do you like doing? If you like investing in stocks or fixed income, you got to ramp up your analytical training, possibly even get a CFA. If you like selling, well, then you have to build up. uh, There's a science to relationship building. Uh, That doesn't mean that it's transparent or cynical, uh, but it just means that there is a way that people interact with each other as a social organism that human beings are, uh, and you need to understand that. And so you have to work on that, develop it, take sales training courses, or, you know, read about it. But the first question you have to ask yourself before I can answer What skill should you focus on learning is what do you like to do? But those are examples of things I would recommend. Let's go to Val. What is the one thing you wish you knew when you were 20? Well, I wish there was one thing, Val. I really wish it was just one thing uh, because there are so many things. But here is the really, really one thing. People really are not thinking about you, Val. They don't really care. Okay, so when you're worried about taking that picture that's perfect on Instagram and you're sending it out, Snapchatting and Facebooking and uh, making sure your hair is perfect or whatever it might be, i got to get, get news for you. They don't care. Cuz you know what they care about? They care about how they look on Instagram, and they care about what they're doing on Instagram. And so when you dial back the notion that other people care and are talking about you uh, and you realize that they're really not and they really don't care, Hopefully, that will calm you down and get you focused on the things that you like doing as opposed to the things that you think you should be doing uh, to seek the approval of others. Uh, That was one of the biggest mistakes I made at the early part of my career, taking jobs that I thought made me look cool that I absolutely sucked at. Okay, so let's go to Thomas. You said that my generation, the millennials, stink. What do you recommend we do to stay humble? Well, I I don't remember saying you guys stink because I do think you're using a lot of Axe, Cologne, uh, and I think you're using a lot of uh, of hair products and things like that, so I don't want to say that you stink. But here's what I do think. My observation is that you are, as a class of people, you are very, very intelligent, but there's a little bit too much bravado and entitlement that's mixed in with that intelligence that could be dangerous. Uh, the job market is super tight. Uh, people don't want to hear uh, the unnecessary nonsense. They want people who are hardworking, that have good attitudes, and are willing to eat broken glass a little bit, particularly at the early part of their careers. And so I don't think you stink, but I do think a group of you guys are un, uh, are, are relatively entitled. I think you need to knock that off right away. This is one last question. It's actually also from Rohil, uh, but I want to bring it up, uh, because, uh, I think it's an interesting one. I listened to the recent podcast on how to be a phenomenal intern with a few interns. And we were mesmerized by your story of the one baseball player out of the entire team with a well-known franchise that treated the clubhouse workers without respect. Didn't clean up after himself and did not tip. We are all wondering who that is. Well, tune in next time for TMI. Uh, I'm going to tell you why I can't tell you who that is. And you can guess. Uh, who it is you probably even get it right, but the reason i 'm not going to tell you who that is is that i 'm not uh, doing these broadcasts to disparage people, even in my uh, my context as somebody that 's uh involved in political campaigns i don 't like attacking the other people personally; I like challenging them in the great contest of ideas, ideas about policy, ideas about directionally where the country and the society should be going. As opposed to the ad hominem attacks. I sort of feel like the ad hominem attacks, by the way, if you're a candidate out there, an elected official or a pre- pre- presumptive nominee or a potential elected official, uh, you got a license to attack the other person. Personally, I get that. That's been going on since probably the Stone Age. But as a person that's not a politician myself, uh, I don't feel it's necessary for me to personally attack people at least I try to limit it as much as I can I don't want to be hypocritical and tell you guys I've never done it because I'm certain that I have I just think as a general rule it's a good idea not to and so I am not going to be telling you guys who that person is but I will say this I will say this uh, you want to be known you personally and this is a good motto for you to think about you want to be known as somebody that is building people up not smacking them down okay and that's a super important thing you'll go way, way further in life. I want to thank all the interns who wrote in today. I also want to thank all my listeners. This is the place to stay engaged. Please subscribe to our podcast, TMI. Uh, It's with me on iTunes, Anthony Scaramucci, and please go rate and review it so we can continue to bring you the content that matters. Also, share this podcast with your friends, your fellow interns or coworkers who you think would enjoy listening to some of these wacky, wild, insightful, but hopefully, hopefully, hopefully you can feel this from me authentic stories, uh, where they're coming from my heart at least. Uh, and I think, uh, it's important to email us. Uh, you can email me, Anthony Scaramucci at podcasts at skybridgeinsights.com. You can follow me at Scaramucci. Uh, uh, if you're a troll, by the way, uh, I would prefer that you not follow me but, you know, that's not going to stop you. So go ahead and say whatever you want. I believe in the freedom of, uh, of speech. Don't forget to watch Wall Street Week. It's on the Fox Business Network Friday nights at 8 p.m. We're running a replay at 9 a.m. on Saturday and a replay again at 9 a.m. on Sunday. Until next time, have a prosperous week.